This episode features depictions of violence, death, and language that some listeners may find offensive, as well as discussions of suicide. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. The sterile floors and walls, the humming of the fluorescent lights above, the soothing sounds of Louis Armstrong from the radio, that's all Herb noticed from the gurney, strapped in tightly, for his own safety, according to Nurse Theodora. He was about to begin his first phase of the good doctor Norman Baker's miracle treatment. Nurse Theodora returned and began pushing the rusty wheels of the gurney down the halls of the Baker Hospital. Herb remained silent as he was wheeled toward the treatment center. Even with the soothing music, there was a deep tension within the pit of Herb's stomach. He could hear the pained groans of the other patients. Herb, like so many others, came to Mr. Baker's hospital to seek a cure for his malady. In his case, a brain tumor. The other doctors said it was untreatable, but Mr. Baker assured him he could not only treat the disease, but cure it. Once his first check cleared, of course. Herb stared up and into the glaring bright lamp hanging over his head. The vibrant colors of the walls seemed to glow even brighter. The throbbing at his skull and chest grew louder. Nurse Theodora stood above Herb along with the doctor, spouting reassurances. Herb was on the road to wellness, but a rough road lay ahead. The doctor held up a syringe. Herb could see the reddish liquid in the barrel, Norman Baker's miracle cure. Theodora held Herb's head to the gurney and stuck a gag in his mouth as the doctor examined Herb's head pinpointing the perfect spot to inject. The needle pierced into his skull, and he screamed out in muffled agony. All Herb could think was that the miracle cure felt like anything but. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places for free on Spotify. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, an estate that has changed hands a number of times throughout its history due to multiple tragedies and atrocities, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. The Crescent Hotel and Spa was originally built in 1886, constructed in the Ozark Mountains. The main draw of the hotel was access to the numerous natural springs in the area that were both relaxing and purportedly had rejuvenating properties. 
The grim history of the building began when an Irish stonemason, identified only by his first name, Michael, fell to his death while constructing the main building. Despite this accident, construction continued as planned. The hotel was only in operation for a few years before going bankrupt and the property was abandoned. In 1908, investors bought the estate and transformed it into the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women, an all-girls school and dormitory. During this period, another death occurred when a pregnant student fell from the building's fourth floor balcony. She either jumped or was pushed. Accounts vary. The school remained in operation until shutting its doors in 1924. From there, ownership of the Crescent Hotel was passed along continuously, oscillating between schools, hotels, and spas. Each time, the property fell into bankruptcy and was abandoned. That is, until 1937, when it was bought by entrepreneur, inventor, radio personality, and wannabe politician, Norman Glenwood Baker. In the midst of the Great Depression, he turned the decaying former hotel into the Baker Hospital, where he claimed he could cure all manner of disease, including cancer, though his supposed remedies often proved more harmful than the illness they were meant to cure. It was just another night at the Baker Hospital. Nurse Theodora sighed as she continued her rounds. She went from room to room, floor by floor, making sure the patients were alive and in good health, whatever that meant. Theodora had only been at the Baker Hospital for a few months, and already she'd seen more death there than any other facility she'd worked at. The death toll was so bad that the hospital's morgue was completely filled with cadavers. She didn't ask questions. Mr. Baker paid well for her to do her job, so she did it as best she could. The night shifts dragged on, though. Finally, Theodora reached the fourth floor, the end of her rounds. The nurse methodically unlocked and looked into every patient's room. Fortunately, no one had died tonight. But she did find some of the rooms to be rather disorganized. If there was one thing Nurse Theodora hated, it was untidiness. So she took her time cleaning up after them. She only hesitated when she arrived at room 419. This one had the highest turnover rate in the entire hospital. The patients that checked into this room rarely checked out. She dropped her keys as she attempted to unlock the door. Picking them back up, Theodora managed to fit the key into the lock and let herself inside. The current resident was a young woman named Penelope. She had been afflicted with lung cancer growing up in a coal mining town. Nurse Theodora remembered the girl being a talkative sort when she first checked in, but lately she had become withdrawn. The room was a mess. Clothes strewn about, dirty plates on the bed, and bedsheets in a crumpled heap on the floor. Theodora scanned the room, looking for Penelope. Then she noticed the balcony. The glass doors were closed, but she could plainly see the younger woman standing there, looking out into the darkness. The elegant balcony and rich Victorian aesthetic was a relic of the hospital's past as a luxury resort. Theodora knew that letting the patients have access to the balconies was a bad idea. Ignoring her urge to tackle the mess in the room, Theodora rushed for the balcony doors and nearly tore them off their hinges. 
she confronted Penelope and urged her to return to the room at once. Penelope turned around, slowly. Even in the shadows, the nurse could see what dreadful shape Penelope was in. Her body was gaunt, eyes sunken, and skin pale. The treatment didn't seem to be going well for the girl. Theodora was surprised that the skeletal patient stood outside on the wooden balcony for so long in just her medical gown. She urged Penelope to come inside. She risked pneumonia, or worse, standing out in the cold. Penelope just stood there, staring at the increasingly agitated nurse. Theodora had enough of the girl's hijinks, stepping forward to bring the sick girl inside by force, if necessary. She gripped Penelope's skeletal arm. Penelope pointed over the railing. Theodora groaned. Did Penelope drop something off the balcony? Was she delusional? Humoring the patient, Theodora looked over. She screamed at the ghastly sight that lay below. Theodora could see the prone form of a young girl four floors down on the ground. It wasn't a patient. Illuminated by the streetlights leading to the front of the building, Theodora could see she was wearing what appeared to be a school uniform, like something from her own youth. Theodora leapt into action, dragging Penelope back into the room. She sprinted down the hospital stairs to investigate, throwing herself down the spiraling staircase two steps at a time. By the time she reached the bottom of the staircase, her head was spinning. She did her best to shake off the dizziness and kept going. Finding herself at the hospital's entrance, she scanned the road and saw nothing. Theodora panted and gasped for breath. No body, not even a drop of blood. Had her eyes deceived her? She looked back up to see Penelope looking down at her from the balcony of room 419. But she wasn't alone. Theodora ran back up the stairs, heart beating like a jackhammer. Finding herself back on the fourth floor, Theodora burst into room 419 to see Penelope sitting at the foot of the bed, the balcony doors blowing in the night air. Ready to collapse, Theodora demanded an explanation. Penelope, as stoic as ever, told her to go to the balcony. Marching forward, the nurse saw another girl, the same one she had seen dead on the ground, the one in the old school uniform. She appeared to be about Penelope's age and visibly pregnant, her distended bellies stretching the fabric of her uniform. Theodora wondered if the poor pregnant girl was another patient. When Nurse Theodora asked who she was, the girl begged to be left alone, tears running down her cheeks. Theodora stepped forward, the girl stepped back, begging for her life. She'd be good, she wouldn't disappoint her again. The nurse was confused, telling her to remain calm. Theodora took another step close, and the crying, pregnant girl flew over the railing, as if she was thrown by some invisible force. Theodora could hear her scream until her voice was cut off by the ground below. When she looked over the railing of the balcony, she was met with a grisly sight. The dead body of Penelope. The Haunted History of the Crescent Hotel 
began long before the horrifying trials of the Baker Cancer Curing Hospital. One of the most notorious spirits seen on the property is the ghost of the pregnant Crescent College student, usually appearing in room 419, where she threw herself, or was thrown, to an untimely demise. She's been spotted by patients and guests alike for decades. Another well-known spirit is that of a nurse, known only as Nurse Theodora. When she was alive, she served the Baker Hospital from 1937 until it shuttered in 1940. Supposedly, Theodora haunts the very same building she tended to, still obsessed with keeping the rooms neat and tidy. Guests report that they found their luggage and clothes reorganized by the ghost of the former caretaker. Like the poor, unfortunate student, Theodora has also been spotted in room 419. The fourth floor accommodation is the most haunted of the hotel's 72 rooms and a frequent request for tourists looking to see specters. And sometimes they get their wish. Up next, another story of the horrors at the Crescent Hotel. Now back to the story. The Crescent Hotel was converted into a treatment center for the untreatable in 1937. Norman Baker's hospital eventually gained notoriety for its unorthodox practices and supposed miracle cure called Formula 5. Much like many snake oil salesmen of his time, Baker operated without an actual medical license. All he had was a talent for marketing and showmanship, which sometimes was enough for the desperately sick those who were still clinging to hope that they might recover. And sadly, Baker's promises were too good to be true. It was a long trip for Archie, one he had hoped would be worth it. It took days to get to Eureka Springs from Nashville, but it was the only way he could find the truth concerning his sister's odd letters. It had been months since his sister had fallen ill. Doctors said she had developed terminal stomach cancer untreatable. But then, the family had heard about the miraculous results of the Norman Baker Cancer Curing Hospital, where sick folks get well, was the slogan. The family would do everything in their power to heal Christina, no matter the cost. Though the rest of the family was eased by Christina's letters of her wellness, something seemed off to Archie. The letters had her signature, but the contents seemed generic and lacked the kind of warmth he expected from his sister. His ma had called him bullheaded for as long as he could remember. His sister said he'd go through hell or high water if his mind was set to it. This was no different. With what little money he had, Archie decided to take a trip to visit her in person. Exiting the bus, Archie soaked in the sights of Eureka Springs, a cozy little town seemed like a decent enough place to try and recover from such a terrible disease. After a short hike on the road through the hills, Archie found himself at the Baker Hospital. It looked exactly as it had on the brochure, a lavish Victorian estate, more like a spa than a hospital. He almost felt jealous of Christina. Going to the front desk, Archie rang the bell. The young man took in his surroundings. Art hung on the walls. Patients played cards in the lobby. Nurses wheeled by, none giving him so much as a glance. He felt practically invisible. Eventually, a woman answered his call, 
Her name tag read, Nurse Theodora. Archie explained that he had traveled all the way from Tennessee to check on his sister and see how her treatment was going. He'd just like to see her and that he'd be on his way. Nurse Theodora responded that in order to see a patient, he would have to give advance notice and come during the designated visitation hours. He'd have to come back tomorrow or later this week. Archie had no idea trying to see his sister in the hospital would be this complicated. He explained that he didn't have the time or money to stay in Eureka Springs. He had just enough cash for a short overnight visit, then needed the rest to pay the bus fare. The nurse was indifferent. Christina was in the midst of her treatment, and the added excitement of a visit could delay or even reverse the process. Archie was annoyed, but he didn't want to impede on his sister's recovery. Theodora assured him Christina was fine and he needn't worry himself. Norman Baker was a genius. His treatment worked wonders. Archie asked if he could sleep in the lobby. The nurse flatly refused. The hospital was for patients only. He would have to find lodgings in Eureka Springs or camp in the wilderness. He doubted she meant the second one seriously, but since he had come all this way, he decided to take her up on the challenge. While exiting the hospital grounds, he looked back. Something caught his eye in one of the windows on the second floor. It looked like his sister looking down at him. An instant later, the curtains on that window closed, and he lost sight of her. With his experience working as a logger, Archie managed to make an impromptu campsite for himself in the mountain near the hospital. He could see its lights from where he sat and ate the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches he had brought for sustenance. Something didn't sit right with Archie. Why did they give him the runaround if his sister was supposedly doing so much better? Every time he closed his eyes to get some rest, he saw her looking out from that second floor window. The more he thought about it, the more he was sure the place resembled a prison, one that held his sister against her will. Unable to sleep, he let the fire die and went for a closer look at the hospital. Pushing his way through the vegetation, he could see most of the lights were still on. It was like a lighthouse on an isolated shore. He looked to the windows. Most just revealed patients in bed or hospital staff walking about the corridors and rooms. Except for one. At one window, was Christina. Archie could hear her hitting the glass to get his attention. Her lips were moving in a desperate cry. He could just make out the two words she was repeating over and over. Help me. That settled it. He approached the rear of the building as silently as he could, finding the door to the kitchen for deliveries. It was locked, but a few well-timed strikes with a nearby stone forced it open. Archie stepped as quietly as possible to the kitchen. At this hour, the well-stocked cafeteria was empty, making for an easy infiltration. He made his way through the corridors to the stairwell. Suddenly, he heard a hushed noise from below. He glanced down, and for a moment, he saw Christina at the bottom of the stairwell, finger over her lips to shush him. Archie wanted to cry out and make sure she was all right. She gestured to him to follow her deeper into the building. Archie ran after Christina, but found her missing when he arrived in the basement. 
Compared to the lavish upstairs, this area seemed much more like a hospital. The colors were muted, and the walls pressed tightly in around him. Archie didn't encounter another soul in the dimly lit halls, including his sister. Just an endless, dank corridor, in stark contrast to the beautiful Victorian hotel above. Doors lined the walls, most of them shut tightly, save for one. A door labeled Treatments, slightly ajar. He ventured inside, hand fumbling for a light switch in the dark. Light flooded the room, revealing a shocking sight. Dozens of boxes of alcohol, various plants and packages of watermelon seeds, all assembled around a table littered with syringes. Taking a closer look, Archie found a small paper labeled Formula 5 Instructions. Alcohol, glycerol, carbolic acid, watermelon seed, corn silk, and clover leaves ground up into a syringe. The treatment included injecting the affected site several times a day, every day. Mr. Baker's miracle cure. Examining the ingredients and tools, Archie heard something shake above the shelves. Craning his neck, he saw dozens of glass jars vibrating from his footsteps, all filled with something that looked like formaldehyde, tumors, organs, and human flesh, pickled like so many pig hooves. Looking across the number of jars and specimens, Archie spotted one labeled Christina. Inside was a large, bloody polyp. He prayed it wasn't his sister's. He heard a noise from the hallway, his sister's whispers. He stepped out of the treatment room and followed until he found himself at the doorway labeled Morgue. The heavy steel door seemed to open on its own as Archie approached it. He had to hold his own mouth shut when he turned on the lights. Bodies. Dozens and dozens of bodies stacked on top of each other in the frigid tomb. Some had been left to rot on the floor. There were too many corpses for shelves and gurneys. It was filled to the brim with death. The smell assaulted him, along with a swarm of carrion flies that seemed to fill the chamber. He could tell that the bodies had been operated upon, missing chunks of flesh and skin. This was no hospital. It was a death factory. And in the corner, he realized, was the decayed body of his sister. Skin frozen and blue, her belly stitched closed. Archie held back his despair and tears. His sister looked as though she had been dead for days, if not weeks. Their search for a cure had ended in her death. But who had led him along the hospital grounds? The door closed, and he heard someone shush him. The era of the Baker Cancer Curing Hospital was one of death and greed. Norman G. Baker, also known as the man from Muscatine, came down to Eureka Springs from Iowa to open up what he advertised as a revolutionary new treatment facility for diseases thought to be incurable. This turned out to be a con from a devious grifter. Baker had no prior medical experience or even a license to practice medicine, 
He was a quack doctor selling snake oil. Most of Baker's treatments involved injecting patients with Formula 5, a placebo that was itself stolen from another con man. After the miracle cure failed, Baker would remove the tumors and flesh of patients and try and understand their ailments. A large stash of these macabre mementos was found buried in the ground behind the Crescent Hotel in April of 2019. The hospital itself was shut down in 1940 after it was discovered that Baker would get his patients to sign forged letters to convince family they were recovering when they were in fact sick and dying. Baker was convicted of mail fraud and served time from March 1941 to July 1944 in Kansas Federal Prison. Once released, he tried and failed to open another Iowa hospital. He lived the rest of his life on a three-story yacht formerly owned by railroad magnate Jay Gould until dying of liver cirrhosis on September 8, 1958. Coming up, we'll see how these events have haunted the Crescent Hotel up to the present day. Now back to the story. The property formerly known as the Baker Cancer Hospital was bought by Marty and Elise Rennick in 1997 and turned back into the Crescent Hotel. It was a luxurious hotel and spa, but also a hotspot for those looking to contact the dead. Seances and other supernatural stunts were held every Halloween. Franklin Marsh finished another beer. He figured having a few drinks in him would be a good way of commuting with the deceased. He and his cameraman Johnny were on an assignment for the reality show Ghost Chasers. But for as long as he'd been chasing ghosts, he'd never actually found one. The show just catered to a very believing audience and had good editors. Yet here he was for the Crescent Hotel's Halloween seance, an event that had become a draw for seekers of the supernatural. Franklin was just chasing a paycheck and ratings. The bar helped too. Johnny urged him on, with the atrocities that occurred in this place, there had to be a story to record here. He told Johnny to wait for him. He was going to have a smoke. Mostly, he wanted to get away from the tourists and clear his head. As he stepped outside, he heard an unfamiliar voice ask for a light. He turned and saw the most gorgeous woman. Dark hair, bright smile, and a strangely vintage dress. It was Halloween after all. He happily obliged her and lit her cigarette. He introduced himself, and she told him her name, Irene. A pretty name for a pretty woman. It was a lame pickup line, but she seemed amused by it. She said she was staying at the Crescent Hotel while doing her dancing act. Franklin explained that he was at the hotel chasing ghosts, feeling a bit foolish by comparison. The dancer told him if he wanted a big scoop on spirits, he needed to come to her room. Room 419. When he turned to ask for a time, she was already walking back into the hotel. Franklin told Johnny to meet him at the seance later. He was going to investigate a lead, a hot lead. Getting into the old and creaky elevator, he slowly made his way straight to the fourth floor and to room 419. Franklin knocked. He could hear someone inside. Old ballroom dancing music played within. He tried the doorknob and found it unlocked. 
As he entered, he was greeted by the sight of Irene dancing all by herself. He offered to join her. Irene accepted, and Franklin found himself in her arms, twirling around the room. He didn't expect a Halloween assignment to end up with him in a gorgeous dancer's hotel room, but he was more than satisfied with this turn of events. A strange sound mixed in with the music. Franklin turned and realized a woman, a nurse, was sweeping the room around them. Her name tag read Nurse Theodora. She complained about how rude the guests were, tracking mud everywhere and making her job so much harder. Franklin retorted how rude it was that she was interrupting his time with Irene. The dancer merely laughed at the scene. Nurse Theodora scolded him and told him she wished Franklin would leave the hotel immediately. Suddenly, the doors to the balcony flew open. The wind nearly knocked him off his feet. He saw a young girl in a school uniform standing at the edge of the rail. Then, she jumped. Franklin yelled out in shock. Theodora and Irene simply stood there. Franklin desperately tried to find his phone and call for help, only to discover that he had no signal. Irene shrugged. She said the girl merely wanted attention. Franklin screamed at her for her callousness. Theodora glared. Franklin ran off and into the hallway. He needed to find help. He made his way to the elevator, hoping he could use the phone at the front desk. Maybe somebody had already heard the girl hit the ground and called the police. He pressed the ground button and the old elevator lurched, gears grinding together in a pained screech. The lift went down fast, faster, so fast he was afraid it would crash. But then the elevator came to a gentle stop. Franklin was confused. He was now in the dingy basement of the Crescent Hotel and the elevator wouldn't respond. He'd have to find the stairs. Step by step, he made his way through the darkened corridors, intent on finding his way upstairs and continuing with his night. He thought to himself that the jumping girl was maybe some kind of Halloween stunt, either cooked up by the hotel or some guest with a morbid sense of humor. That had to be it. After what felt like an eternity, Franklin found an unmarked door. It was large and made of steel, like the door on a meat locker. With no other avenue of escape, he pried it open and found himself in a morgue. Completely empty, but still frigid. No bodies. Surely is set for the Halloween festivities for the evening. As he entered, the door closed behind him. Franklin desperately banged on the door and struggled to pry it open. It seemed to have locked itself behind him. He used his phone as a flashlight to look around. It was then he noticed dozens of empty jars assembled across the walls. A foul chemical smell wafted into the room. He turned back to the door and was greeted by Irene, smiling down at him. She welcomed Franklin to the heart of the hotel and gloated how this would be his biggest scoop yet. Franklin wanted to leave. A creak echoed throughout the morgue. He prayed it was the door, but realized it was the cabinets used to store bodies. The dead eyes of mutilated corpses rising from their containers and staring back at him. 
He screamed in pure terror. Bodies crawled out from the cabinets at him, rotten from the ravages of time. The nurse and the girl from the balcony stood among them. And from the crowd of spirits, one screamed and cried out in particular. Franklin recognized him from the older photos. Norman Baker, desperately trying to escape the grip of his many victims, they were pulling his twisted form into the morgue cabinets. Franklin ran for the door so fast, he feared the steel would break his bones on impact. His shoulder tore, and the force made his teeth click together horribly. But it was enough. With a screech, the door gave and slid open. He found himself back in the hallway, sprinting for dear life toward the elevator. He could hear the spirits trailing behind him. And Irene's laughter. He pounded on the elevator's buttons and prayed for escape. He squeezed his eyes shut. Franklin felt hands on his shoulders and screamed, only to realize it was Johnny holding on to him. The cameraman wondered where he'd been. The seance was over. It was November 1st now. Franklin had no breath to talk. He fumbled for his phone to check the time and saw that he accidentally took a picture in his panic. The assembled permanent guests of the Crescent Hotel, staring at him and smiling, along with their unfortunate host. When Marty and Elise Rennick reopened the Crescent Hotel in 1997, they hired mediums to try and communicate with the many spirits haunting the establishment. The mediums claimed that the supernatural trauma was so deeply impressed on the land that the Crescent Hotel was a portal to the other side, particularly through the morgue. The Crescent Hotel boasts a number of recurring spirits, including the ghost of Irene Castle, a famed ballroom dancer whose partner and husband, Vernon Castle, died in World War I. She retired to Eureka Springs until her death in 1969. Guests claim her spirit now haunts the Crescent. Between Irene Castle, Michael the Stonemason, Nurse Theodora, the woman's college student, and others who never left, the Crescent Hotel has a wide variety of guests who checked in, but never checked out. If you find yourself at the Crescent Hotel, keep your eyes peeled. You might run into one of these permanent guests or become one yourself. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. 
Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Jacob Davison with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Greg Polson.